Hello and welcome to the final episode of season two of Pubs, Pints, People, the camera podcast. My name, as always, is Matt Bundy and I'm joined by Claire Phillips and Aunt Fiorillo. Hello both and season's greetings. Oh, ho, 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 Mr Bundy. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Merry Christmas if it's not too early to say that. It's never too early, Claire. If Selfridges can put their decorations up in August, it's never too early. <laughs> uh, season's greetings indeed, folks. Now, it's just a few weeks to go until the big ho, ho, ho Christmas is around the corner and we really hope everyone's well and truly into their advent calendars by now got the tree and tinsel up and are ready and raring to go we're going to be well and truly getting into the festive spirit ourselves this week by chatting all about christmas brews and getting some brilliant recommendations from the wonderful johnny garrett of the craft beer channel and also speaking to brock burgess owner and cider maker at gospel green Yeah, we're really looking forward to hearing those Christmas tipple ideas. And as Matt said, it's the last episode of the season. But have no fear, we'll be returning for season three in the new year. And if you want to help get involved in any way, whether you're a scriptwriter, you fancy doing some interviews or some editing, well, please let us know because we'd love to have you on board. Now, to get us in the Christmas spirit, Camera's been working on a new cross-industry campaign there's nothing that gets me in the Christmas spirit more than the cross-industry campaign. <laughs> and and it, but actually, it's a really important uh, theme for the campaign, working with other industry partners to highlight why pubs matter this mm. Christmas. Probably this Christmas more than ever, yeah. I would say. Um, and I think that's kind of obvious to most of us. You know, it's something we've been talking a lot about on the podcast. But we think the government needs a reminder ahead of the new tier restriction announcements, which I believe come out tomorrow after this comes out, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And throughout this week, people have been writing and tweeting why they love their pub and it's important to them at Christmas time. You hear me wax lyrical all the time about the pub at Christmas, especially. Now, you can have a look at those and perhaps be inspired to write your own and submit your own via the official camera Twitter feed. It's at camera underscore official. And you can also take part by sharing why your pub's important to you on social by tweeting the PM and writing to your MP and by visiting whypubsmatter.org.uk. But do hurry because the next tier review, as we've mentioned, is tomorrow. That's the 16th of December. We need to get those letters and emails into them really quickly. And what about you two? I mean, why is your local pub so important at, at Christmas? I know, and it's something that you've spoken about a lot before. Yeah, it is. And I I mean, I I love the community spirit of a pub at the best of times, but there's something about the festive season in Christmas where it just seems to become that little bit more intimate. I think everybody seems to make more of an effort to come down with their partners, their friends, extended family, perhaps they're in the area visiting. Um, And and, and the landlords typically make the effort to pull out the mince pies, put on a bit of hot food, the drinks are flowing. And, and, you know, if you're really lucky, I know a few of them down, uh, down by my way in Bedford, especially the Devonshire Arms, they'll get a brass band in, carol sheets get handed out, and it's just such a wonderful, great atmosphere to be a part of. And it's that one time of year where it's all about indulgence, right, and, and enjoying yourself. And I think the pub just really comes alive for me at Christmas time, and this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break my heart this year. It truly is to not be a part of that. Yeah, me me too. I mean, it's the same as you mentioned, the, the, the carol singing in the pubs, a couple of our local pubs, you know, they're only small and they just get really just regulars who can play a few instruments um, and, you know, perhaps a, a couple who can sing and they'll just lead a bit of carol singing, just sort of almost ad hoc, really, not an organised thing at all. And it's just so nice to be part of something like that. I agree. I mean, let, let's not forget, though, you know, a pub is for life, not just for Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So so the campaign goes on. I agree with all of what you've said. And, and I really hope that MPs will realise 
that pubs are more than just businesses. They're part of our Christmas tradition and part of our communities. And that's why I think they're most important at Christmas because it's all about bringing people together. Yeah. And that's what pubs should all be about. So fingers crossed we'll be able to pop into our locals soon and support them. Hear, hear, Mr Bundy. Now, let's inject this podcast with a bit of festive cheer, shall we, as we listen to our volunteer Jack Taylor sitting down with Johnny Garrett to discuss his favourite festive beers and a new seasonal beer book he's putting together just for camera. Johnny, welcome back to the podcast. We're talking Christmas beers today. It's going to be a different type of Christmas, that's for sure, but beer is still surely going to be on the menu. Yeah, I think I account for a fairly significant part of the uptick in beer sales around Christmas in the <laughs> UK. You know, I've been in, into beer for the last probably decade and I would say that almost immediately it started playing an important role in my Christmas celebrations. Beer is is kind of the perfect softer alcoholic beverage to have in the in the festive period. That's sort of taken on a new meaning recently for me because I've started writing a book all about seasonality uh, for camera books in which there's going to be a large chunk dedicated to both festive beers and indeed just drinking around the festive season. So not those particularly brewed for it, but those that really suit it or historically have always been around this time of year. Well, let's start with the book, Johnny. You, you've mentioned it. Let's let's start with that. What made you write this book about seasonal beers, and and what are you finding out about festive beers in particular? Well, so I wanted to write this book because a there's never really been a book that tackled this topic head on. It's always been this kind of cliche of oh well, it's getting cold now, so we'll all start drinking dark beers, which, as far as I'm concerned, and with all the research I've been doing, is still patently nonsense. Nobody really adjusts the way that they drink throughout the year until it comes to actual celebrations. So we'll all adjust to different drinks, maybe for birthdays, for Father's and Mother's Day, for Christmas, for Easter. Or, you know, in in January, we'll adapt how we drink because of perhaps some health concerns or trying to make up for what we drank at Christmas. Mm. So we don't actually, I think, respond drinking wise to the actual weather the actual seasons we actually respond to the events that happen in those seasons and the food that comes with those seasons so it's one removed and I really wanted to get that that point across in terms of what I've sort of learned about that since you know it's involved a lot more delving into the history of seasonal drinking well the book is about seasonal drinking but really a lot of it is down to seasonal brewing it's down to when certain beers were Mm. made when certain beers could be made you know it wasn't until we we really managed to you know get refrigeration in which would have been in the mid 1800s or so that we could start to affect the temperature at which beers were fermented so all over europe generally over the summer we wouldn't be brewing any beer at all we might find a cold place to store some fermentations so there there seems to be this really long lineage of drinking particular beers at particular times of year because that historically is when they would have been brewed or when they would have been released. And so when I think Christmas beers or when I think sort of wintry beers, I do naturally sort of go towards those darker ones that you mentioned before. Why is that? Why am I naturally drawn to these darker beers in these dark, cold months? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. The two regions of of the world that were super into Christmas or I guess deep winter beers would have been firstly Scandinavia, so Norway and Sweden. They had a long history, long before, even before Christianity, but also before Christmas was invented as a concept. And so there was this rich history of feasting around that time of year already, particularly in Norway. And actually, there were laws that meant that you had to brew beer around that time because that is when you would be able to produce the best beer and you could share that with your seasonal workers and stuff like that. 
at that time of year, and they were called Yule beers. So Scandinavia has this rich history of it, and then Belgium has it as well. Basically, they they also really latched onto this this theory, and actually, weirdly enough, Stella Artois was a Christmas beer, one of the original and most successful ones uh, in Belgium. I think that would have been about 1920 when that first came out, and it was supposed to be a richer, maltier, pale lager that was was good for the seasons. But I think the combination of those two brewing nations who are very famous for their darker, richer, higher ABV beers has kind of influenced that notion that we drink roastier malts, we drink higher ABV. You know, I think people think that Christmas beer is a bit of a commercial cash-in. And to make it feel Christmassy, they've added some spices. But that kind of multi-depth and higher ABV is definitely from the historical brewing side. And then, of course, there's the whole element about the food that starts coming out. So around Christmas, obviously, we traditionally eat turkey nowadays but that's only been the case for a couple of decades before that it would have been very much stuff darker meats root veg that we'd recently picked during harvest and stuff that we've perhaps been aging and protecting from the warm heat over the summer so either it's cured meats or it's stuff that we've put into stews so it, it sort of suits the food and it also suits the nations that they come from that isn't to say that there hasn't been a few disastrous christmas beers though like you say, they often have these spices in them and, and sometimes that doesn't always go down too well. Yeah, it's an interesting one, the idea of adding spices to beer. Obviously, that has a rich history to it as well. Belgium's been doing it for centuries. Gruit is a, a style of beer where instead of using hops, you'd have used herbs and spices to improve the flavours, maybe mask some off fermentation flavours back from when we didn't really control our fermentations or weren't able to. So it's got, we've got a rich history of using spices and herbs and, and fruits and peels in our beer and obviously you can end up with you know kind of too many cooks kind of uh, mm. situation uh, that's not to say that adding lots of different things can't be great in cooking but generally less is more so a lot of the great christmas beers will use small quantities of lots of different things or larger quantities of one or two things but yeah i mean famously brewers have taken christmas beers way way too far so what should be the go-tos? What kind of flavours do you think, in your opinion, suits that time of year? You know, something that I drink quite a lot of at Christmas is is Hefeweiss. Because A, it's got that clovey, banana-y, caramel-y kind of flavours that I think are, are very seasonal. But it's also got this pale body. It, it's actually great with, you know, if you're going to have a turkey sandwich, a Hefeweiss is a brilliant match, particularly if you've got some cranberry in there that's going to have some acidity. It's also fantastic just with a roast dinner, although actually with a roast dinner, I always have a bottle of Saison Dupont. So actually, I, I do end up drinking sort of Belgian and German styles in particular, which seems a bit strange. You know, the classic roast is a very British tradition. I love a like a, a classic bitter, like a, a Coniston or something like that with a roast. But when it comes to the additional flavours you get at Christmas, things like cranberry sauce, things like bread sauce, I actually find that something a little bit paler and a little bit spicier can be much nicer, whether that spice comes from the actual addition of spices or from the use of a Belgian or German ale yeast. So it's a, a cold winter's night. Uh, you've spoken about going with a meal there, but if you're just sort of maybe thinking without food... What kind of thing would you go for? When it's a really cold evening and I want something that's going to be, you know, warming, that I'm going to savour, that I'm going to enjoy. If I'm going to have a couple of them, then it's ESB every time. Uh, but also, I mean, the thing that I love to drink around this time is, is a barrel-aged imperial stout. 
as a bit of a bourbon lover myself, it's this perfect mix of being able to have mm. those big, heady, boozy flavours, that balance of vanillin, of caramel. It is really what I'm searching for, but in Imperial Stout, we can add roasty warmth, we can add licorice depth, we can add a lovely coffee or, or chocolate kind of note to that bourbon, and at the same time reduce the ABV. So nursing a healthy glass of Imperial Stout is, is what I love to do, or a barrel-aged barley wine if I want something a little bit maybe sweeter and a little bit more kind of sticky particularly if if I'm having a cheese board, uh, which is is an overly frequent occurrence when it comes to Christmas. And obviously this build-up to Christmas is always a a massive time for breweries. It's It's a really good chance for them to make some money. But this year, more so than ever, because of so much lost time, how important is it that we go out there, we support our local breweries, we support our local pubs this Christmas and buy some Christmas beers as gifts for people or just to drink ourselves. You know, this is the time when pubs would make significant amounts of their yearly profit, particularly in, in rural areas. You know, these pubs are making probably a third, maybe even half of their profits in the last sort of two months of the year. So the fact that they're not going to get to do that because of the crisis that we're in is terrifying for these pubs, which are already under huge other strains that aren't related to COVID. So the best thing that we can do, absolutely, is to support those businesses in every way we can. And that means not going to supermarkets to buy your beer. It means going to the independent bottle shops and pubs and breweries. Pubs are suffering now, but it's nothing like how they're going to suffer in the next couple of months. That's when the government funding is going to completely disappear. And they're really going to need that cash flow at Christmas. So if you can buy to take away or if you can safely support them, if you're in the right tiers coming up to Christmas, please, please, please do and do it responsibly and buy and tip as well. That's super important. It's not just about the survival of these businesses. It's about other people managing to have a good Christmas themselves and managing to pay their rent. So I will be going to the pub whenever I can and I'll be following the rules to the letter. And whether I'm buying takeaway or whether I'm drinking in, I'm going to be tipping not 10%, but 20, 25%, Mm. because that's the only way that, that these people who have barely worked this year and would have much rather worked are going to be able to make up some of the losses they've seen. Yeah, brilliant, Johnny. Brilliant. I'm going to give you another opportunity to to talk about that book. How far down the line of of producing this book are you? When when can we read it? Well, if my editor's asking, I'm nearly done. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) if, If I'm being honest, I've been writing, I've been trying to write this book. I've taken the approach of trying to write about the season at the season I'm in. Because what I don't want to do is let, you know, either rose tinted glasses talk about, you know, that summer all I drank was delicious German style Hellers when actually I drank quite a lot of IPA and the odd classic bitter. I want to make sure that I'm actually talking about what I'm drinking because it's quite a personal book to some extent. What I'm doing is taking my own experiences and trying to extrapolate that out to everybody else and try to talk to chefs and to brewers uh, and to publicans and, and see how they see it. So, you know, I've, I've been to the hop harvest uh, in September to chat to hop growers. I went to the cider harvest because there'll be a chapter on cider in there. So I'm trying to stick to the season. So basically right now I'm writing November's chapter and next month I'll be writing December's. And obviously there'll be some bleeding into different points, but basically it means that I'm about a third of the way through the book right now. And I'm I'm sure it'll all fall apart with the final weeks as I'm madly trying to get over the deadline. But generally I'm trying to keep it as sort of chronological as possible. Sounds brilliant, Johnny. Sounds absolutely fantastic. Final thing, the Christmas dinner's on the table with that Christmas dinner. What, what's the drink you're going for this year? Hey, well, can, can, can I say three? Go on then. Okay. 
So, yeah. So I'll, I'll be starting probably with something really dry, something really fruity that will go with, with, we always have a fish course. From, from growing up, my mum always did this delicious salmon mousse. So with that, I'd always have something like a, a Belgian whip, the driest one I can find because the sweetness isn't so perfect with fish. I'll then, like I said earlier, I'll have a Saison de Pont with the main meal. I think that nothing goes better with all the different elements, uh, you know, honeyed parsnips, cranberry sauce, bread sauce, turkey, crispy roast potatoes, and it will cut right through a, a nice rich gravy. Saison du Pont is amazing for that. And then for pudding, I'll be having mince pies. I don't love a Christmas pudding. Uh, so I always have mince pies. And with that, I'll 100% be having uh, either a Belgian double or an English barley wine. I'll have both in the fridge. It's which one I have first. <laughs> Fantastic, Johnny. I, I wish I was coming around to yours. It, it has to be said. Thank you very much for, for joining us on the podcast. And, and hopefully we might hear from you again in, in the future. Thanks for having me. Well, that was really interesting. It's so true that people do change their drinking habits throughout the seasons. I'd never really thought about it like that, that yeah. it's not so much, you know, we're responding to the weather or the seasons themselves, but also events at that time of year. Now, I don't know if it's the power of suggestion, but I certainly prefer my darker beers once the weather gets cold and the days get shorter. Mm. And, and maybe there is something in it because uh, apparently the concept of seasonal drinking seems to have come partially from Scandinavia. Or obviously, you know, the days are very short in winter, yeah, aren't they? You know, yeah. Many of the best things do, obviously, flat-back furniture. <laughs> Indeed. Jan, Jan Molby. ABBA. Uh, seasonal, ABBA, seasonal drinking, yeah. Um, and, and they actually apparently still sell uh, Christmas beer, uh, which they call Julol, I believe it's pronounced. Tweet in with a phonetic pronunciation. They actually still sell that in Sweden and lots of the Scandinavian countries too. And I like the fact there's even a non-alcoholic alternative that's called julmust, which is a lovely word, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. It, apparently that's a spiced fizzy drink. So they love a seasonal drink. It doesn't matter if it's got alcohol or not. Well, I must say, Mr Bundy, I'm very impressed with your Scandinavian knowledge, sir, and I couldn't agree with you more. Now... Let's talk about those winter spices in beer, shall we? What do you guys think of them? Because they work really well in foods, you know, cakes, ginger biscuits, even meat and veg, and you've also got mulled wine and cider. But beer, do we draw a line? How do you? Where, where are you at with this, you two? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of some spiced beers. I mean, there's there's one or two in in particular that um, that spring to mind where. I, I vowed never to drink them again. But, um, but you know, sometimes, I mean, I, I was drinking a, a Christmassy one the other day that um, did have a slight spicy sort of uh, taste to it. And that, that was OK. Again, it was a Christmassy beer. So perhaps I was yeah. thinking, oh, Christmas, it's all right to be spicy. But generally, depending on what, what the spice is, the, the main spice, I, I'm not that keen. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Matt? I'm I'm a sucker for it to be honest really? at Christmas time. I always go for the for the seasonal eels anyway. But um and it, the amount of times I've had something called Rudolph's nose or Santa's little helper <laughs> yeah. or something like that. You know, there's it always catches me in the pump the, the pump clip when I come in. Yeah. And if I see one that's like a kind of a three D especially flashing Rudolph nose. I'm pretty sure I've had that flashing Rudolph nose one as well, um from, from time <laughs> it, to time. It catches me. It's the art of branding. But um, so maybe it's once again it's just it's the, the terroir, you know, the when mm. you're drinking in a Christmas themed pub. But for me to me they do uh, taste rather special. Although I bet you any money you've had it I and in January, 
or probably a day after Christmas, I'd go, oh, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you both mean. I suppose that there is the attraction of it being that time of year and why the devil not indulge. And, and I agree with you as well, Claire. There are some that it, that just, I think the cloves, especially for me, I've, I've had some beers where they've just over-indexed on the cloves and it's just like, I don't know, some kind of medicinal mouthwash taste to it. Um, if I go for one, I'll often go by the half just to tread carefully and I'll also bear in mind what I'm eating. Um, because I find that those kind of seasonal beers work really well when paired together with something delicious. Uh, which actually, given the circumstances we all find ourselves in, if you've got a pub near you open, you've got to have a substantial meal anyway. So, you know, pair it up and give it a go. Johnny has already reiterated how important it is that we support our locals this season because Christmas really can be make or break for many pubs and breweries. And, and it's a shame that so many, especially the, the wet-led ones that don't serve food, yeah. are missing out. But actually... I was really heartened to see that still a lot of camera branches are choosing their pubs of the year. I saw a press release just the other day from the West Suffolk branch. Their pub of the year is Oaks Barn in Bury St Edmunds. And, you know, it's great that pubs are still getting support from camera branches. Maybe they can't get as much support in person in the pre-Christmas run-up, but branches are out there supporting and promoting pubs, which is brilliant. They totally are. And don't forget to reach out to your branch as well, folks, if you need to uh, find out what's going on. And maybe you you can help with some of that voting of, of awarding those local pubs. Back onto that interview as well, I really agree. And, and I thought Johnny had a great suggestion about tipping if tipping rather if you can afford it to help others out this season i mean it's not it's not something we're, we're particularly accustomed to in this country um, but what we are i do find as a nation is very charitable you only have to look at the concerted effort as a nation this year throughout the, the covid pandemic and what we've done voluntarily but you know it could be a lifesaver for some of those people working in the pubs at the minute so if you can tip do tip yeah actually in my town berkhamstead uh, somebody's organized a buy a pub a pint or buy a pub a cocktail, or buy a pub a, a bottle, depending on what you can afford. And he's done a campaign for that, uh, just to keep the independent pubs going. And I know there's a lot of that going on in towns across the country, so I think every little helps. I was reading something the other day about all of the different routines that people have, and it's amazing to see how many people are starting to create their own little takes on that and nuances. It seems that Sue's suggestion this week is taking us back to a more traditional Christmas main with a recipe for festive pheasant, which is very nice. And in this, she suggests using a dark spice Christmas there with plenty of spice and stuffing thrown in to create what sounds like a stunning Christmas meal. So if you haven't planned your dinner yet or you're in the process of looking at what all the chefs do, why don't you check out our What's Brewing recipe because Sue is an absolute craftsperson in the kitchen. She's great in there. So so have a look at that pheasant recipe if you're looking for something different this year. If you are looking at What's Brewing for this one, don't forget you do need to plan ahead. Don't start thinking, oh, I'll leave this till about 10 o'clock on Christmas morning and then just put it in the oven because actually it requires leaving the bird in the beer mix overnight before you cook on Christmas morning. And I've certainly been caught out in the past with following a recipe where it says, <laughs> do such and such and such, leave overnight. Yeah, oh, I've done that before. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, no! <laughs> yeah. But, but so if you're organised, this sounds amazing. It certainly does. Now, if anybody's struggling for ideas for festive brews to have during, uh, is it the five days we get with the family in the reception? Who knows? Yeah, yeah 23rd um, to the 27th, you can be in a bubble with people, I think. Do check out Sue's list, which is on uh, on a recipe on what's brewing, because there's plenty of stunning festive brews there. And I'm sure there'll be some of there that you won't have had before. So some real treats. Have you considered, and I'm sure there's one person around this table <laughs> who has considered, a table cider this year? Because we're going to hear from Alison Tafts, who's the owner of the Hop Inn in Hornchurch, as she sits down with Brock Burgess, who's owner and cider maker at Gospel Green. 
I'm Alison Tafts and I'm the landlady of the Hop-In Micropub in Hornchurch. And one of the products that we sell an awful lot of is one of our favourite ciders, the amazing gospel green sparkling cider. And I'm happy to say that I'm a good friend of Brock, who is the producer and brains behind this amazing elixir. Uh, and he's agreed to jump on uh, this podcast with us. And we're going to have a chat about why Gospel Green is great for celebration for this time of year, but also just a chat in general about celebration drinks. Hi, Brock. Hi, Alison. Good to hear from you. And thanks very much indeed for having me. That's a pleasure. So tell us a little bit about Gospel Green and why it is the perfect celebratory drink, if you will. Well, Gospel Green is a magnificent British product made in Hampshire, and it's a cider made exactly like our French cousins across the channel make. Uh, we just make it in a champagne way. So it comes in a 75 CL bottle, double fermentation. So it's got a beautiful, elegant fizz to it, much like any decent champagne. And, it, you know, it's really for sharing with friends and, and celebrating life and success commiserating. Uh, it's just a really nice thing to have. And you and I have shared uh, many a glass or two over the years I've known you. We have. And you have your classic brute gospel green, don't you, which is that gorgeous kind of golden colour. But you've also created some other variations which people may be interested in. Yes, indeed we have. So the Brute is our signature product, and that was created by the wondrous James Lane, who founded Gospel Green back in 1990. And that's really just a sort of ode to a real classic champagne method. And we use culinary apples, apples that you would buy in your local supermarket, and our cooker in that is the Bramley. So that gives you our sort of signature drink. We've then got, as you say, some other little delectations in the stable. And the one that I love is the rosé, which is a real game changer in that people think it's an English sparkling wine. It does not suggest cider at all. So it's fantastic when you hear people saying, I can't believe this is cider. Are you kidding? And I go, yeah. And it's brilliant to see them go, goodness gracious me, what is this? And then you surprise them. And we've thrown in a couple of fab limited editions. One is called the Kentish. And we teamed up with wondrous cider business called Kentish Pip and Sam Mount. And we got a really special vintage secret cider from them that we've put in our dosage and we've got that and that's that's a really nice dry elegant beast and then a rather cheeky one for us is we've gone down the route of fruit cider but this one is just totally different we have an extremely tasty little bit of scottish raspberry dosage in this so basically it takes up about four percent of the bottle uh, so it's not a recorder lick where you're getting a lot of muck and water. This is the finest you can get, part of your five a day, I would say. And it just sort of gives a nod to what's going on out there, but at a sort of classic, elegant end of the scale. We sell a lot of your rosé. How is that turned into a rosé, Brock? What is added to convert it from that beautiful golden brute into the rosé version? Well, what we do is we take our base ciders, which are obviously double fermented, as I mentioned earlier. And, uh, you know, sort of when we disgorge, it's at that point that we can play around with what's in there. And we put in a beautiful and elegant uh, Pinot Noir that we get from uh, our European cousins. And a little dosage goes in just the right amount to give it that fabulous sort of band all south of France rosé colour, um, a little tiny hint. And it absolutely massively changes the mid flavour of that cider, which is a real surprise to people. Yeah, it's fantastic. We enjoyed a little bottle of the Gospel Green Rosé on Christmas morning. It was absolutely superb last year. So I'm wondering what to choose this year. 
Well, well, I'll be virtually drinking a bottle with you, Alison, but you've now got Brute, Rosé, Kentish Pip or the Raspberry to try. In fact, one for every course of your Christmas lunch. This is so true. What a great idea. And as well as obviously you've got beautiful bottle with the cork and you've got that wonderful sort of moment of popping that cork and getting the celebration going. How else do you like to enjoy your gospel green? I'm obviously, I'm, I'm guessing you drink a fair bit of it. I, I can imagine you will because you lovingly make it. <laughs> uh, so how else do you enjoy your gospel green, Brock? Well, I think gospel green is one of those sensationally versatile drinks. Um, you can make a beautiful Aperol spritz with the brute, you know, substitute your Prosecco and bung in the, uh, the gospel green brute. And that's a little bit like taking the lemonade out of a Pims and popping in tonic for a slightly more elegant, refined, mature flavour. We make an absolutely beautiful French 75. Um, I do a champagne cocktail with the brute, which is quite fun. And it's, it's just one of those drinks that people can sort of fiddle around with. They can pop it in in any real substitute you would have sparkling wine prosecco or champagne or cava so it's it's nice and then of course it's beautiful in its own the rosé i would always say you know just just have that on its own um it's there it's to sing in your mouth and sort of cheer you up and and boil you along if you've had a bad day the raspberry's fun and that's one that we like to sort of throw at people and say well hang on a second we can make it good and kentish pips a surprise because it's got the most extraordinary length in the middle and again the kentish is one you can play around with if you like making cocktails substitute any champagne or or fizzy wine product for the kentish and you'll be absolutely over the moon with what you get Yes. Yeah, we're big fans of Kentish Pip Cider because obviously they're not very far from us at the hop-in. Uh, so Absolutely. We have their ciders as well. But yeah, no, it's great to have you two together in, in that beautiful bottle. So apart from your gospel green, what other styles or examples of ciders can we enjoy at celebrations? What do you think, Brock? What have you enjoyed? I think for me, it's, it's, you know, there's an awful lot of cider out there um, being made across the UK, Scotland, all the way down to England and everywhere in the middle, even Wales, I believe. And it's, it's it's artisan product and you can drink it like you would wine. Cider is one of those fabulous things that it goes beautifully with food and in many respects, slightly better than wine. So you've got some fantastic things that made by, of course, Tom Oliver. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got amazing products, um, you know, made abroad. This is a fantastic Brandland cider. They do an amazing ice cider. I really like um, after a meal with my cheese. And then there are those beautiful, elegant, dry ones from Herefordshire, Once Upon a Tree. And we've obviously made mentioned Kentish Pip. It's just a cornucopia of, of taste sensations out there for people to explore. Yes, I've been lucky enough to try the Brandland cider from Sweden and they make some gorgeous ice ciders. So yeah, if you're looking for something to round off a meal, trying something like an ice cider. And as you say, uh, Simon Day at Once Upon a Tree also some, some amazing ice ciders and ice perries yes. with pear yes, yes. in Herefordshire. So, yeah, some great... Absolutely. And, and not forgetting Little Pomona and the stuff that they're doing there. And then, of course, if people want to go for gold and get something a little stronger, they can always go for a little bit of apple brandy, which is always lovely. Lovely at the end Somerset of a meal. cider brandy from Julian Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of the 10-year-old of that and we yeah. that at the pub as well yeah um, and actually you know mm, mulled cider love it to bits i think i would probably say and maybe the listeners would agree you don't want to be using a nice premium artisan cider to do a mulled just get a run-of-the-mill uh, can cider and, and utilise that. We've tried Gospel Green. It does pan out to be quite expensive by the time you sort of pour the amount in you need. It is good, though. Um, I will not deny that. But 
we're a fizzy celebratory drink. Um, so keep the still stuff from Herefordshire and bung in your sugar and cloves and things and mull that. But I was going to say that with um, you talking about Julian Temperley, for that champagne cocktail, use their absolutely fantastic cider brandy with gospel green, Angostura in a sugar cube and off you go. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I was going to put in a word for um, Turner's Cider in Marden in Kent who make an apple pie cider, which we have sometimes, mm. and that works really if, really well if you warm it up. Uh, so yes. that might fit the bill instead of having to go to, uh, you know, putting the spices and things in yourself. And absolutely, I would be a bit shocked to uh, use gospel green because for me it's, it's, <laughs> it's far Well, you know, people can do what they want as long as they buy it. <laughs> now, our listeners will have heard definitely that you've got a wonderful Scots accent, uh, Brock. And obviously, All right, yes. Uh, yes, yeah, we know you come from that background and there's some whiskey links back in your family somewhere. So uh, apart from wonderful cider for christmas and hogmanay and new year any other sort of treats that you can recommend for people to try what treats can i recommend for people to try well i think that you know it's all about personal choice for me i waken up on christmas morning and i will have a, a bucks phase or a mimosa for our american cousins and i will have that with gospel green and freshly squeezed orange juice you know i did throw gospel green in again i'm sorry but it's just <laughs> so good it's so good and you can sling in a little bit of campari in there if you want to sort of brighten up and that's that's just nice i think on christmas day we'll be going down the route of you know our traditional uh, red and white wines we will have champagne there will be cognac at the end but i think to get me through the stress of cooking the Christmas lunch there will be a very nice little single malt whiskey and for me my personal favorite is Glendronach with a few beads of water and that will alleviate any stress as I battle with the turkey and duck. Wow I mean it, I, if, I certainly you sold me I think that sounds like an amazing uh, combination of drinks. Oh, that does sound good doesn't it? I bet Mr Bundy our cider expert is thinking you know he's got this sorted here. I absolutely agree with the idea of a table cider, especially if you get a lovely, lovely bottle. You know, there's a bit of theatre to it. You know, you can you can pop this off. I've actually in the past had a had a Breton cider mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with a Christmas lunch, which uh, worked particularly well, uh, just because you get the kind of the tall bottle. You know, that uh, looks a bit nicer as a centerpiece. But yeah. yeah, I think this this season I'll definitely be. Uh, serving a selection of my ciders that I have acquired over uh, our last orders tasting over the last year. I'll be doing, giving a kind of a, a an end-of-season review with my oh, family. Very good. Will you be in your smoking jacket with your pipe as well? <laughs> Absolutely, just talking through each one, you know, pretending that you're, that you're there, you know. That, that, that I'll be talking to thin air, pretending I'm talking to Aunt Claire and Katie. They, they, might, they think I'm a bit weird in my family, but that's how we get through it. <laughs> Well, I, I might have to have a look at these ice ciders that they were talking yeah. about because they sound like the perfect alternative to something like a sparkling wine and various seasonal cocktails. It might be a nice change to, to share these at the table instead of a, a wine or afterwards as a cocktail. Yeah, it's something that I remember Katie talking about in season one when she went to the uh, Little Pomona Orchard. She was talking about that champagne uh, bottle, that champagne cork cider and that that gentle sparkle. She spoke very highly of it. And you know what? You might have even converted me here, but we shall see. Let's move on to our archive dive where we're staying in with the season, but we're just going back a few years to 1987 with the article Winter is Warming Up at the Bar. Love it. 
Yes, I think we all know publicans do an amazing job dressing their pubs for Christmas. You know, I love seeing the twinkly lights and all the tree, everything all beautifully done. Um, and, and getting in the holiday mood matches perfectly with their festive ale offerings. And it was no different back in 1987. And this article details the fantastically named Warrington's Winter Warmer. Uh-huh. Love that alliteration. And it's described as an entirely experimental brew at the time, um, as as a kind of well-loved rich ruby beer popular uh, throughout and uh, they talk they talks as well about a few other beers for the season and there is an element of caution featured though on the same page because the article for holden's black country xl holden's seasonal extra strong beer do be careful because a pint is equal to approximately five single scotches cool. that is that is something strong that is that is the thing you want with a substantial meal if you're only allowed one drink, isn't it? It's like, I'll have a scotch egg and one of them. Well, I tell you what, I don't know whether we've got anything that strong. What are we having for our last daughters? Let's say it's on Christmas Eve. What's our perfect drink for that? I've had to try several to come to a conclusion here. I was lucky enough to be visiting the North Norfolk coast a little while ago. There's a fantastic shop in Sheringham called the Giddy Goat, which just sells beers from Norfolk. So I I stocked up and I've tried, we've sort of had a mini beer festival at home to try and pick our favourite Christmassy beer. I did try the Tinsel Toes from Woodford's, which is their Christmas beer, and I liked it. But I'm afraid it was just pipped at the post by the Why Not Brewery in Norwich, who have a beer called Chocolate Nutter. It's uh, 5.5%. It's been a champion bottled beer of Norfolk Camera Branches in the past. And I think that was my favourite sort of dark, um, wintry, Christmas Eve beer. That's, that's the one I'm going to go for. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. A nice deep drink. Uh, like you, Claire, I've, I've done, in the name of research, uh, a few different uh, samples to get myself ready for them. And my Christmas Eve ale this year is going to be coming from the Papworth Brewery. And it's very suitably titled Three Wise Men. So as you can imagine, the bottle's got a picture of three wise men in silhouette on the back of camels on the way to what I assume is to deliver something delicious. And the, the beer doesn't let itself down. It is, it's well, really well balanced, dead delicious. Not, you know, it's not in your face with the spices or anything like that. It's not in the life of Brian Sense, led by a star, led by a bottle more like, because it's not those three wise men. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I don't think it's them three wise men, but it's, uh, yeah, it's absolutely delicious. And that's the one I'm going for. What about you, Matt? Well, I've kind of got two last orders this week. The first one is I'm actually taking a little break in Cornwall right at the moment. I was speaking to you, and it's like summer down here. It's absolutely amazing and sunny. So I've actually gone back. I let, let it slip a bit early on Twitter as well that I'm trying a Verdant Brewing Company. Uh, they've got uh, lots of wonderfully designed uh, beer cans. And from the set, I'm having one called Bloom at the moment. But it's very summery and very fruity. So I do feel a bit shame. So I think if we're looking forward to Christmas Eve, for me, I do like a mulled side. But the tricky thing with mulling cider is that I don't want to throw away one of my absolutely excellent ciders and kind of to taint it by putting mm. some mulling in there. So I always face this dilemma of I've got my good ciders and I've got my, my ciders that I give to my dad or I give to the mulling, you know. But um, mm. the, so, so I'm going to have to go a little bit more mass than I'd like to sound, but I would say that a Sheppy's organic cider is through a process of elimination, the perfect kind of confluence between that in that it's uh, it's it's lovely on its own but it's also 
not so hard to get hold of uh, that I can still put it into the mulling pot and still have some left over for uh, uh, for the next day. So Ooh, I'm going to yeah. say a mulled cider on a Christmas Eve is perfect for me. So if, if you've had your Three Wise Men um, beer, maybe we should have a Three Wise Podcasters um, mulled cider by oh, the sound of it. Well, I think so. Get it get it made up, chefs, if you're listening. <laughs> Absolutely. We're sale, everyone. That's what we've got to say <laughs> this, time, this time of year, haven't we? Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, it, the, they sound delicious. We're going to have a great Christmas. And I want everybody to let us know on the old Twitter, at Pubs Pint People, what are you celebrating with this Christmas? And remember to tell us why your local pub matters to you. Remember that camera campaign we'd love to hear from you on all counts we would and don't forget to tune back in in the new year we'll be taking a short break now to spend some time with our friends family and loved ones and we hope that you'll get the chance to do the same and when you do join us in the new year we'll be back with more fantastic interviews and stories to look forward to i don't think any of us are sad to see the end of 2020 though (laughs) so (laughs) until then merry christmas to you Merry merry christmas Ah, just before you go, the camera podcasts are put together by staff and volunteers around the country and recorded by people in their own homes and offices using the internet. So, things go wrong, the tech can break down and tongues occasionally get tied. Here's a few outtakes that the podcast elves saved for Christmas, just for you. Hello and welcome to the final episode of season two of the camera. Hang on, that's no, that doesn't work. Is it? Is it? The final season two of this is a good start, isn't it? Strong start. Are. Strong start. Let's go again. Here we go. Okay. And we are ticking and recording. Here we go. Matt Bundy starting us off. Let's go. Here we go. Episode nineteen: The Phantom Menace. And we do hope everyone's well and truly getting into their advent calendars by now, surely. Uh, I hope you've got the trees up and the tinsel and ready. Let me start. Hang on. Uh, the, the, yeah, the, the dog has started to try and escape from the room. OK, no worries. <laughs> we're banging the door, but uh, hang on, I'm, I'm going to let her out. Because, yeah, go for it. Uh, look, you can't put your bed there, can you? Hey? <laughs> if you don't want to stay in here, go out. You're not coming back in. Go on, out you go. Don't, don't annoy John. Go on. John, where is he? Is he up the stairs? He's up the stairs, isn't he? You go up the stairs, good dog. <laughs> right, sorry she, about that. I was just saying, the way, the way that you, you speak with a dog is just how I speak to my son, it's hilarious. <laughs> is Mummy in the other room? Mummy's in the other room, isn't she? Go and see Mummy. <laughs> yeah, she said she started with a separate veggie menu um, with lots of choices such as chilli, vegetables and pulses, hazelnut and mushroom loaf, Neapolitan poo, poo, pew. <laughs> <laughs> That, that might be. Is that pie? Who? I don't know. Pie. That's this is going to be a pie. Sorry, this that is a definitely. Me. That definitely can't be anything but pie. I promise that wasn't me. I promise that. Wasn't. Well, that was really interesting. It's so true that people do change their drinking habits throughout the seasons. I'd never really thought about it like that. That yeah. it's not so much you know we're responding to the weather or the seasons themselves, but also events at that time of year. Oh, Matt's, le- Matt's gone away, it says. Oh. <laughs> at, le- at least you finished the line before he disappeared. Yeah. Uh, he'll come back on now. Every now and then he does have, a, he does have an intermittent problem with his... Um, oh, is it the old Wi-Fi dropping out or yeah. something? Yeah. We're doing so well. <laughs> We're on a roll. Oh, absolutely. I think the way that great non-alcoholic... <laughs> Put your teeth in. 
Totally. I think that, you know, non non alcoholic. Oh, come on, <laughs> put your words in. <laughs> fantastic and the cheeses were great too um my top choice uh was siren's twin flamed classic sorry but my top choice was their twin flamed uh (laughs) but my top choice was their twin flames classic red ipa sorry um to be honest, I just want to reel off a list. There's so many opportunities to mispronounce things. You know, that is... I can't even say mispronounce. But mispronounce! It's like, oh, dear me. It just felt a little bit, oh, you know, we know it's a bit shameful. So I think, yeah, I think rubbish, just, just, just go for it. Just just say yeah, it as you've written it. Utter bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't go that far. It just felt a bit waffly. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? <laughs> bollocks, Matthew. All right. <laughs> So we're going to tell you. I'm just trying so to work I've just out come out of my, we'll yeah, I've just come poo. out of my line to say <laughs> she's sorted out the menu uh, herself. She's taken the initiative. Um, I think okay. I said it. Uh, yeah. All right. So that's where we're going to edit it. Good luck, editor. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's uh, this week's Desert Island beer. <laughs> Desert Island beer. 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 It's time for us to dive into the archive. Did we do the jingle for it? Who knows? I'll do it myself. I'll do it live. Archive dive. Okay. Cool. Desert Island beer. Desert Island beer, Desert Island. <laughs> <laughs> mm, sounds like a younger Boris Johnson. Um, uh, but I'm, uh, we're not allowed to be political, are we? No, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Can we, they edit that out? That was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> note to um, post. Note to post. Note to post. Edit it out. Remove Boris. Okay. We lost a lot of the benefits, and it's only been exacerbated. There. Sorry. <laughs> And it's only been exacerbated by COVID. Of a series on how cider is made from Gabe Cup. <laughs> on this week's recipe, uh, to at Pubs Pints Pipple, it's Pipple? Pipple. At Pubs Pints People, put my teeth back in. Uh, we'd love to see what you come up with and hear your thoughts. Hold <laughs> on, I just have to cough. Pubs Pints Pipple. Is Ant still here? Ant is oh. muted. Ant, you're muted. Why is he doing? He's gone. I just realised that he didn't say anything for a bit. Oh. Next to his name, it says muted, so I don't know that's. Oh well, at least well, at least he's not disconnected. <laughs> that would be worse. Um, Hopefully, it will behave. Okay, we're back, Dave. Yeah, you know, special charity brews aren't a new phenomenon. Phenomenon. <laughs> phenomenon. Tip of the tongue, teeth and the lips. Let's do it again. Ding, 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 ding. Brilliant. Lovely jubbly. Right, both of you, honeys. What are we doing? Well, I can't say that. Can't say that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, and we'll be chatting with... Oh. Oh. Hello. You're gone. Hello. Oh no! Oh no! Matt's Come back, Matt! Matt, return to us now! Oh, he's actually dropped out. Oh no! 
Sounds good. We're rattling through this. Yeah. I, I always get nervous when we do this, but I, it's because we're just genuinely awesome now, isn't it? Let's just get over <laughs> it. We are just amazing now. Mm, I, I, we are, aren't we? Sorry, I yeah. just completely messed that up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was just going, mm, yep. <laughs> yeah, we are. It's going to be hard work. Sorry, I'll take it from everything. Hang on. Yeah, go up. I think the only person who's like my steady fan is my mom, to be honest. <laughs> Even my husband has like no interest. I'm like, don't you want it? He's like, I don't care about beer. I'm like, you care about me? Yeah. <laughs> don't you want to hear me. my voice? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I can say whatever I want about him. <laughs> That's right. right. I'm just taking. Sorry, editor. <laughs> but I, I love a quote from a random person you would never think would do anything to do with beer or cider. Mother I Teresa. I don't think she did actually mean beer or cider when she said this. <laughs> <laughs> Although, do you know what, Claire? Let Matt have it. You know, Mother Teresa was clearly drinking uh, <laughs> an IPA when she made uh, this. I, I'm, I'm setting the scene. She's opening up a little, a little stubby can, <laughs> you know, in a tiny micro pub. You know, she was a small lady, and and she said, uh, and she just says, she turns to her drinking companion, and she says, "The Lord likes small things best, especially those done with love." So here's to you, Mother Teresa. Cheers. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, you're gonna get if it thunders tomorrow, Matt, and you get struck by lightning, then we're not yeah, exactly. that friendly. <laughs> I didn't say anything bad about it. You did know it was very. It was very. Um, it was very uh, respectful. Respectful yeah. about it. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. a free case of beer sound yes you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at beer 52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people that's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meager postage cost of five pounds 95 and what's more as a special offer for our listeners they'll throw in two extra beers for free so that's 10 unique craft beers beer 52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.